Um, I wanted to kind of, does anybody else in here think life can sometimes be a little hard? Like, like, in any, like, it's just, I mean, there's some of you probably just, like, walk through life, don't even know it exists, um, and, like, everything bounces off of you, and that's, that's, that's a vibe, um, but for, for, I think, a lot of us, like, life could be pretty hard, you know? Uh, like, I remember in college having four finals in one day, and then literally my ba- brain, like, being fried by the fourth one to where I couldn't remember a single thing, so in an auditorium filled with 150 other people, I sat my pencil down. And I walked out, never to be seen from again except for the next semester when I had to retake that class. Um, I know some of you guys in here have probably shot your shot um, with a girl you like, and they shot you down. Um, Never fun. Always sucks, honestly. Uh, We've been sick. We've had broken relationships. Some of us might have recently gone through and tried to navigate through a global pandemic. I don't know. Maybe something. Um, and then also, like, we go through life and, and things get even harder. Uh, we lose loved ones. Other things happen. And it's crazy because I think on some type of level, everybody in this room can relate to something, um, whether it's on that list or not. You know what I mean? Whether it's us relating or we know somebody who something's happened to, um, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust alike. You know what I mean? Um, So knowing that, I want to look at kind of the question of how do we get through these things and not just get by, but get through them well, have hope, comfort, even be able to experience joy, if that makes sense. So let's talk about that a little bit tonight. How do we find joy even through trials? So... I'm going to read a little bit of scripture, uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. For you Gideon lovers out there, that's page 756. (laughs) Um, I was actually going to try and bring one and give it away, but all of y'all have stolen them already, so I could not find one. Um, All right, so Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to pray real quick. Jesus, thank you so much. Um, God, thank you just for who you are, Jesus. Um, Thank you for what you've done for us, Jesus. Thank you just that you are good, Jesus. Um, And the more we find out about you, the more that that's just solidified, Jesus, that you are good and you are all God. Um, You are the good father, Jesus. You are the, the righteous ruler, God. You are everything that we could have ever want, Jesus. Um, You're what our hearts have been desiring after, God. May we learn more about you tonight. Um, May we have an experience of being closer to you, Jesus, than we have before, God. Um, And may we enjoy it, Jesus. Um, May we not come begrudgingly, but may we come happily to your feet, Jesus. We love you, God. Amen. So my wife and I, a while back, had a old blue 2003 Dodge Grand Caravan. Um, We called it the Blueberry. Uh, Yeah, this is not an actual picture because ours looked like that one if it were to roll off a mountain and be recovered. 
Um, that would be a more accurate depiction of ours, but we loved it. It was sturdy, it got us where we needed to go, and with our first son, Weston, when he was first born, it was our first minivan. We felt like family, parent, life. Um, some reason a minivan does that for you. But also you can carry lumber if you put all the seats down, so I felt good. I felt good about having a minivan. And that minivan, sadly, is no longer with us. Um, yeah, I know. That's... that's too much of an awe. I mean, that was more of an awe than my kids, but um, it's just a small awe. Um, so that van's no longer with us, um, and I'd like to talk a little about, about its final voyage, um, as we could call it. So my wife and I, before we were in Springfield, misery, um, as Scroggins calls it, we were in New Mexico, in a place that some of y'all have now been called Las Cruces. Uh, and we were part of the staff there at New Mexico State, and because we lived in the desert of New Mexico, and all our family is in Texas, because I am a proud Texan, no matter what state I live in, um, none of our family ever came to visit us, more or less. They would have to drive 13 hours through absolutely nothing with no trees or greenery, and I couldn't blame them. So what we did was every summer, we would do what we called the Texas tour. Um, and it was the one time a year we would get to see our family, and we'd just kind of like go all over the state, rack up 5,000 miles, and get back to our house in one piece. And this year, we were getting ready to do the tour, going to Fort Worth, Houston, San Antonio, College Station, Huntsville, Texas, all these different places. And about three days before we were supposed to leave, I pull into the driveway to have smoke bellow out the front of my car and liquids draining out the bottom of it. I open the hood, everything's coming from the radiator, and I just kind of sit there, just kind of like, what, what, what do I do? What am I going to do about this? Um, I get in contact with a mechanic. He says, okay, I can do it, and I'm going to work overtime to get it done so y'all can go on the trip. I was very grateful. It was awesome. We got it done, but then the air conditioner didn't work for some reason. But we had to leave. Like, we had this whole trip. This is the only time we get to see our parents. So we ended up leaving at night so our son can sleep and we can have the windows rolled down because it was 115 degrees in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And that's so hot without AC. Um, so we end up getting on the road, headed out through the absolute nothingness that is West Texas. And I'm not even dogging West Texas because where Las Cruces is, there's nothing. It's just a continuation. Um, like, you don't really feel like you're in Texas till even where y'all are, you, there's trees here. Like, that's amazing. Y'all should be very grateful. Y'all have trees. Um, they're like 10 feet high, but you have them. Um, and you should be proud. Uh, I'm sorry. I just, I'm going to get off. I'm not, I didn't, no rabbit trails. Um, anyways, we're going along the highway. It's like two in the morning. We're chugging along. We get about an hour from Abilene. And then all of a sudden, it sounds like a gun goes off inside our, inside our wheel well. Um, rubber starts flying everywhere, and then we start swerving around, get to the side, and then, like, I, I get out with a little flashlight that we bought at Walmart because I didn't want to spend money on, like, a mag light or whatever, and I'm looking, and it's just destroyed. Like, there's no rubber left on the tire. Like, I can't explain where it went, how it went, but there's no rubber left on the tire, and somehow our one-year-old is still asleep in his car seat. Thank you, Jesus, he gets his sleeping habits from me, and he stayed asleep the whole time as I'm out there changing a tire for 30 minutes while semis, who apparently can't see my car with the blinkers on, go 70 past me right next to my car. Um, and after that scary event, scared for my life the entire time, we get it fixed, we get on the road, we drive the last three hours to my grandparents' house, and we park it. 
only to wake up to the next morning to my grandpa coming down the hall, scratching his stomach like he does, and go, did you know your taillights busted out? It's like, oh my gosh, okay, yep, all right, taillights busted out. We spend time with family, I find the part, get it changed, and then two days later, we leave, head out to College Station. At this point, we're feeling like our car is Michael Scott trying to finish a 5K, and it's not going well. Like, it's just, it's hobbling along, there's fluid, it's just not going well at all. And we get to College Station, everything's great. We're like, all right, new chapter in the trip, this is going well. And then there's a small strip of road from College Station, Huntsville, Texas. You go like 45 if you're going the speed limit, and it's just two lanes, not that hard. We get about halfway through, and what sounds not like your old-fashioned, like, pistol, what sounds like a sawed-off shotgun goes off inside our hood. I don't know if y'all know what tannerite is, but it's like our engine was made out of tannerite, and somebody shot it, and the entire thing exploded. We, we coast, like, 100 feet to this gas station that was right there, pull in, I get out, and honestly, at this point, I just kind of, like, do that thing where you just, like, walk away, like, I just, I, just, I just do this, and I'm gone for, like, three minutes while my, my wife is like, where'd you go? I don't know what happened. And then as I'm turning to go back, as if it's just scripted in a movie, every liquid in the vehicle drops out the bottom. Like, windshield wiper fluid, oil, I think Mountain Dew Baja Blast started just pouring out the bottom of it. And, and, like, we're all just speechless. My son's playing and laughing and everything like that, but me and my wife are like, what is happening? I don't understand. Um, so we end up getting it towed, getting it to a mechanic, and the mechanic is the most joyless expression you've ever seen in your life, stern face, and he's just like, he listens to our story about what happened, and he goes, that's not good. <laughs> okay, thanks. All right, well, let us know. So we sit in the waiting room, Hands kind of like in that position where their elbows are on your knees and your hands just kind of <laughs> holding up your head at one point. And then our son's walking around, playing with the tires and the wheels that are set up, watching 70s Scooby-Doo reruns. And like 30 minutes later, the mechanic comes back in, same face. So I'm like, maybe there's good news. I don't know. This is just his disposition. And he goes, yeah, you're never driving that again. And it's like at that moment, I don't know if y'all have ever had like that, like just kind of breaking point moment where all of the negative things you've been like fighting back in your mind just like bum rush you and you're like, nothing is good, everything is bad, there is no hope left in this world. You know what I mean? Um, Like a Dementor just came into the room and just sucked all the life out of it. Like that's that moment that I had. And thankfully, I called one of the best friends anybody could ever have, Jonathan Garza, And he comes over with his car and helps us unload everything from this, what was once a very beautiful and reliable van. Um, And as we're unloading it, my son, who's one year old, is leaning on the back seat, looking at me through the back, just laughing, playing. Every time I make eye contact with him, his eyes light up, and then he starts just like throwing his toy around, so excited. And I just stop at that moment, and I'm just like, man, if he only knew. Like, like if he only knew what was happening, like, thank you, Jesus, he has no idea, like, what the real situation is. You know what I mean? Like, thank you, Jesus, he's he's blinding him to that so he doesn't feel that burden. And a couple hours later, Natalia's mom picks us up and is driving us to their house. And as I'm sitting next to Weston in the back seat, him just bright-eyed looking at me like he does that just hits me every time, 
the Lord speaks to me. And he stops me. And he tells me it's not Weston that doesn't fully understand. It's me. I don't fully understand the situation. To Weston, it didn't matter that we were broken down in a car for the time being, stuck 13 hours away from home with no AC and no possible answer to how we will get back to our home and his bed and his toys and his books. All that mattered to him was that Natalia and I were with him. And that was all he needed to feel as if he was in the happiest moment of his life. You see, going through these things, it's not about what we're going through. It's about who we're going through it with. And in that moment, I had forgotten who I was going through it with. That Jesus has been there the whole time, and I just forgot. I want to talk about a guy named David Livingston. I think we have a picture. Boom. Look at that guy. What a stud. Like, he's the guy you walk into a room and the whole atmosphere changes. You know what I mean? Sorry, ladies. He's dead. So you missed your shot there. Um, Also, he looks like he's about 40 years older than you, so I don't know how y'all feel about that. Parents might not like that. But David Livingston was an awesome missionary to Africa, and when he left to first go out into the mission field, he prayed this prayer. Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any ties, but the ties that bind me to your service and your heart. And then he said the words of God came to him. Lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. It's crazy. Over the course of David Livingston's missionary career, he would experience many things, go through a ton of hardships to where almost his life was marked by these things he went through. During one of his journeys, he would have to send his wife and kids back home to Scotland, and he didn't see them for another five years. And then when he came back to see them, they didn't recognize him because of the trauma his body had been through. Any pale friends in here? Kind of like the sun is scary until SPFs were invented, like all of your ancestors were in the northern, like top northern hemisphere because it just didn't work out. This, This was him. So it was said that when God took this pale man and sent him to the extreme heat of Africa, he came back and his skin was scaly. It was cracked to where that mixed with getting hit in the eye and being completely blinded almost in one made it to where his wife and kids didn't recognize him, um, which is pretty crazy. For 16 years, he traveled through hostile tribes and places nobody had ever been before at that time, um, and he was put through a lot of dangerous situations. And then to make matters worse, his wife was in Scotland during that time to look after their kids, but she promised that when his kids got old enough, she would leave and come join him in the mission field. And although she kept her promise, A few days after landing, she contracted a horrible illness, and he would be burying his wife a few days after being reunited with her. That's crazy. At that time, due to the place he was a missionary, the seclusion, the loss of his family, and the things he was going through, he became known throughout the world as kind of the world's loneliest man, Um, which is a crazy thought to think about, to have a person kind of known as like, that's the loneliest person on earth. And then one evening... On January 14th in 1856, when riding during an especially difficult time where kind of the tribe he was ministering to was like walking behind him as he's going through the roads, like closing in on him, and they're, really, they're being really hostile, he wrote this in his diary. I felt much turmoil in spirit in view of having all my plans for the welfare of this great and teeming population knocked on its head. But Jesus came and said, 
All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and teach all nations. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It says he became excited by this reunited revelation. And then he goes on to say, this is the word of a gentleman of the most sacred and strictest honor. I feel quite calm now. Thank God. You see, a thousand times he placed his finger on that scripture and that text. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And the truth of that passage is what carried him through 30 years in Africa, through the loss of his wife, through the loss of his father, through the loss of his looks, um, and through the loss of his ability to walk. Because after those 30 years of spreading the gospel, freeing slaves, he was no longer able to walk. And he was watched and cared for by the tribe's people who at one time tried to persecute him. And on the morning of May 1st, 1873, one of the caretakers looked into his hut, and David Livingston was not in his bed. Instead, he was found kneeling beside his bed, and his hands were clasped together, but he was no longer praying. He had passed away during the night, but up until the end, David Livingston was practicing the presence of God. His final conversations were with the eternal Christ, the Christ that has been is and will forever be, who said to him, I am with you always, even until the end. And then Livingston went to be with the one who had always been with him. That's crazy. In Psalms 23, 4, we see King David say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He feared no evil, not because he knew his character would be better after he went through it, not because God had laid out this like clearly defined brick path for him to go down, and not because God had said, once you go through this valley, I'll set you up in a five-star resort with free massages and those little umbrellas in your drinks so you never have to worry about anything ever again. He feared no evil, and he knew God was there, and he felt his presence, and that was all he needed. It wasn't what God could do for him once he got through or while he was going through. It was just the mere presence of Jesus that got him through that valley. Does that make sense? Alexander McLaren said, peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. How amazing is that? Like Christ died, not just so that we could spend eternity eternity with him in the future, but so that we could be with him now, we could walk with him now and never be separated from him again. I I, I do wanna be upfront. I do want to be up front, though. This relationship with Christ, this thing we're talking about, this constant presence of his, isn't something that we add to our current lives, though. What Christ is talking about isn't you going home after this to your dorm, into your car, and going, man, this is really awesome. I'm going to continue living my life like I was, but it's just going to be better now because Christ is with me during it. Like you just added something to a drink and you're like, man, I got vanilla in my drink at Starbucks today. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. To kind of look at this, I want to look first at the first part of the scripture we read that we hadn't really talked about too much and look at the background of the scenario they're in. Jesus was just persecuted for all that he had just taught the disciples. The only truth they knew and followed for years was this person of Jesus. And then their only hope and their entire belief system was nailed to a cross in front of everybody. And then that body was put in a tomb. And now Jesus has come back. He gathered them all together. And then he gave them the great commission and told them to go and tell everyone else 
what he had told them, the same things that just got him killed. Essentially, Jesus was asking his disciples to do the hardest thing that they would ever have to do, and that's give their lives up for his sake. Like, that's the background to this scripture and the background to him saying this. But he ended the command with a promise that he knew was the only way they could ever get through what he was asking them to do. And that was the promise that he would be with them every single step of the way. Does that make sense? David Livingston found comfort in the presence of Christ when he was in the remote villages of Africa living for Christ and not himself. In Matthew 19, the rich young ruler came seeking heaven and was told, although he kept the commandments and his actions were right, he still must sell everything that he gained and follow Christ. And in Matthew 16, Jesus tells us that we must pick up our cross and follow him. And then he says, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. And if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. That all sounds honestly really backwards and weird. Like, I don't, I don't know if when y'all first read those things, um, you, you think if you, if you save your life, you'll lose it. Uh, if you die, you live. Like, how does that make sense? But then... When you step back and you solely look at the person of Christ, honestly, and at his character, which y'all have been going through all semester, you don't look at the people who follow him wrongly, but you just look at Jesus. You look him face to the face and you honestly look at your life compared to that. You realize that it all makes sense. When we look at him face to the face, honestly, truthfully, Jesus is... So good and so great and so loving and so wonderful and so just that the only rightful response from a sane human being is to do whatever they can, give up whatever they can to have more of him. He is the treasure in the field worth selling everything for to get. It's when we understand this that we understand when he says, I am the way, the truth, the life in John fourteen six, what that means. There can be nothing outside of him. And when he says, You must abide in me, make your home with me to be with God. It makes sense because there is no other way. For those of you in here who haven't entered into a relationship with Jesus, would you be willing to start? But would you also be willing to give up whatever it is that would keep you from him or has kept you from him? Not because of what you think he can do for you, but just because of who he is. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. As we start to come to a close tonight, and the band can come back up, I want you to come to a point of decision about this person you've been learning about, hearing about, seeing people walk out a relationship with, come to a point of decision. And if you decide to give your life to him and walk with him, find your small group leader, find the person who brought you tonight, and tell them and pray with them because Jesus loves when we follow him in community. Weston's story changed me. That moment, it wasn't a story, that moment that God spoke to me changed me. I started looking for Jesus in all different things. I tried not to go into a room where I didn't recognize his presence first. 
That led me, when the next semester, the next vehicle we got broke down, to handle it very differently because I knew whatever I was going through, I was going through it with him. And the next summer, when my grandma, the person I am closest to within my family, ended up contracting a deadly disease and was fighting for her life as I was sitting right next to her, I knew I wasn't sitting next to her alone. And I knew my grief was shared with the one who I was always meant to be with. And then as my wife and I felt the Lord call us to move our herd of children to Missouri to follow him and work for him there, we knew he was going with us the whole way. You know what I mean? I'd like to say after that experience that I never had to be reminded of this again, but that is not true. Um, But thankfully, over the course of time, I've learned a few things that have helped me get closer to him and get closer to experiencing his presence all the time. We have to have attitudes of gratitude. Whether we're going through a good time or a bad time, we have to be grateful for who he is, what he did, and what he's doing. We have to have constant abiding time and devotional time because if we aren't spending time in private, we won't recognize him in public. And we need to be sensitive to what he's asking us to do and be immediately obedient to it. And pray a prayer like David Livingston did saying, Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any ties, but the ties that bind me to your service and to your heart. You see, when we start walking with Christ, our life should no longer be about the things we are going through, but be about who we're going through them with. If you've given your life to Christ, but you found yourself doing Christian things without him, you found yourself being religious, but not Christian, get back to him. Understand his presence is the thing you were saved to. Do whatever you can. Give whatever you need to up. Anything you love or think about more than Jesus, move it out of the way so that he can have everything. Or maybe some of you have just stopped feeling his presence because you haven't been obedient to the last thing he asked you to do. The last thing he asked you to do was uncomfortable. So you suppress the thought of it, not realizing you're suppressing the voice of God. So if you think that might be you, go back and do whatever the last thing, big or small, that he asked you to do. A.W. Tozer said the importance of coming into God's presence is worth overcoming any and all obstacles along the way. If you have been walking with Jesus, you've developed this relationship, you love his presence, and you're able to get through times with joy and peace and happiness because you're with him, come to the altar tonight and continue being grateful for that. Don't forget it. Don't let that slip away. We're going to open the altars tonight. And whether you need to wrestle with the decision about the Jesus you're confronted with and whether he's worthy of your life, which he is, whether you've given your life to this Jesus, but you've started walking out a life without him, come back to him. And whether you've been with him the whole time, just be grateful with him. And if you don't fall under any of those categories, come and meet with him anyways, because he's good and he's worthy and he's who we were always meant to be with. All right? I'm going to pray and then the band's going to play and just go somewhere and meet with Jesus. Come to the altar, pray, worship, spend time with God who created you and has always wanted to be with you.